today. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them to the book of Philippians in the New Testament, chapter number 4. If you have your Westover app, our scripture and our points are there today. We're continuing a series. In fact, we're wrapping it up this weekend, a series entitled Firewall, Gratitude Guards the Heart. Every one of us, if you probably have a home computer, you have some type of firewall that protects your data, your identity, important information, and you need that. Because somebody's always trying to hack in and, and, and distort or rob or steal or, or uh, somehow do some nefarious work with your identity or your information. What I want to say is that gratitude, Scripture's going to tell us, gratitude is the firewall of our heart. It, it keeps a lot of negative things from getting into our heart and in our spirit. Uh, a, a spirit of gratitude changes so many things in our life. Now, many of us think that, that happy people are grateful. The Bible teaches us that grateful people are happy. And every parent in here, you intuitively know this. Because at the very earliest age of your children, when they're just beginning to speak and they may not really communicate very good and, and, and even hardly speak their name or uh, family members they can't pronounce words right if something is done for them if something is given to them if something is handed to them you're always saying to your kids now what do you say and we're teaching our children at the earliest age to say thank you to be grateful because intuitively parents we know that if we can instill gratitude in the hearts of the lives of our children at an early age they will be happier and more fulfilled later on in life because grateful people are happy. And that's what God wants for every one of us. Uh, God wants every one of us to live in a spirit in a, and a feeling of gratefulness. Now, psychologists tell us there are, there are three concepts. If we receive information in these three areas... We perceive that information as being both relevant and important. You can be doing something else. You can be multitasking. And all of a sudden, if information comes to you in these three areas, you will lay down what you're doing. And all of a sudden, your heart and your mind tunes into it. And what is it? It's the area of fear, pleasure, or in the area of hope. If you receive messages in one of those three areas, you all of a sudden give attention. For example, fear. If you're doing something, you hear a siren. We know a siren is an emergency, and it elicits a little bit of fear and anxiety. And so we'll drop everything and pay attention. You may be doing something, and all of a sudden, your phone give an alert, a weather alert or some kind of other alert, and you will pay attention to that. No matter what you're doing, if you get a message of fear, have you ever looked at uh, w one of those uh, medical ads or for a medicine, and it gives all the symptoms, and you're reading that, and all of a sudden you feel like, man, I have half of those right now. You know, you know what I'm talking about? I was reading one the other day and had 10 symptoms, and I had five of the 10 symptoms of menopause. I'm telling you. <laughs> My goodness, what's happening to me? I, I had five of them. Yeah, because what? It elicits fear in our mind and our thinking. Another area is pleasure. If you're doing something in a restaurant and all of a sudden people are laughing, they're having a good time, your focus will go there. 
If, if there's a TV commercial and all of a sudden you'll enjoy this, the way for the family to be enjoyable, whatever, you'll pay attention to that. Have you ever noticed that the ad for the family of four going into a theme park, they're all smiling and happy? There's never a whining child. There's never a frustrated, sweat, sweaty parents and exhausted. No, it's always to present the idea of pleasure, a memory that will last a lifetime. So one way we receive messages, and we think they're important and relevant, is for fear, and another one is for anything that gratifies us, pleasure. But there is a third area that if we get a message in it, the psychologists say that human beings automatically click into it, and that is hope, something that's hopeful, something that, that makes us believe that there could be a better future, that somehow could convince us that life could be better, that we're not stuck where we are, that, that the home, the life, the marriage, the job, the career, our lives could be better. If we have and receive a message of hope, there's something about that we think it's relevant and it's important. And what I want to share with us is gratitude always causes us to lean into faith. It causes us to lean into hope. The importance of being grateful is we, we don't act out of pleasure, we don't act out of, out of fear, we begin to respond and with a spirit and an expectation of, of hope and faith. And, 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 and faith just somehow builds in our heart. It, it becomes, if you please, the gratitude is the ecosystem for faith to grow in our life. And faith always takes us to life could be better and it should be better. It helps us see today better, but it also helps us to believe that tomorrow could be different. And that's what God has for every one of us. God intends for us to have a spirit of gratitude. In this weekend's message, I want to talk to us about this firewall about identity theft. Identity theft. You know your firewall at home protects your personal identity. You say, Pastor, but how does that relate to me emotionally and spiritually and relationally? It's because of this. That gratitude protects the identity that God created us with. And there's some of us, your identity has been hacked into. You're saying, I'm not the person I used to be. You know, I used to be trusting and I, I used to be carefree. I used to be expressive in our marriage. But now I'm withdrawn and I've closed off. Your identity, the way God created you and the way God wants you to operate, your identity has been taken away. Maybe you've gone through divorce and the brokenness and the pain of that and you withdraw and you're saying, I'll never trust again. I'll never be. I, I, I was so trusting and I believed and I was so hopeful in what we were going to have. But the pain and the disappointment came through and now you find yourself that identity. Who you are and who you want to be is no longer there. It's buried under callous, broken and hurt feelings. Identity theft. How can you get your identity back? I'm going to show us through Scripture in the book of Philippians that gratitude allows us to recapture our emotional and our spiritual identity and it will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We don't have to have our identity, our spiritual freedom, our personality, the, the person we want to be and the person we used to be lost forever. We can recapture it. And gratitude guards our hearts. So join me in the book of Philippians chapter number 4. We're going to read the same verses that we have been reading all month long in this series as we wrap up this series on firewall, on gratitude today. Same verses, let's just read them through, starting with verse number 4 of chapter 4. The New Testament says, Rejoice in the Lord always, 
And I will say it again, unless you didn't hear this, rejoice. He says you should rejoice so that your, your gentleness is evident to all people. In other words, when you go to work tomorrow, your rejoicing should be that it's evident to all your co-workers, to everybody on, on, on Loop 1604 and on 151. It should be evident that your heart is full of joy. It should spill out. You're not complaining about what the family member said about your pumpkin pie that happened on Thanksgiving Day. You're not upset that somebody got in the line in front of you at the Black Friday sale and they sold out two people in front of you. You're not upset that you're tired and you're frustrated and you overate or you did this or things are not going well and it's been a tough year. No, your, your rejoicing should always show up to people around you so your gentleness is evident to all. Let's go back to verse Verse number five, we said in the beginning you could put the word because right before this next phrase. Let's look at it. Because the Lord is near, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, here it is, with thanksgiving. The reason some of our prayers are not answered is because they become a complaining session and an asking session and a God, give me, give me, give me, give me. My name's Jimmy, 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 give me, give me, give me. That's what we're saying, yeah. No. He says, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. What does he say? Verse number 7. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard, there's my word, firewall your heart. When you begin to add thanksgiving to it, then all of a sudden you're content. You're not complaining about what you don't have. The peace of God from thanksgiving, it firewalls, it guards our hearts in Christ Jesus. Verse Number eight, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. And right here in Scripture, he's telling us, verse number seven, he says, they will guard your heart and mind. Here's where we, we have this identity. We're able to keep it in Christ Jesus. Now, I may... I, I may see myself in trouble. I may see myself as in a slump. I may see myself as just caught in a debate right now or caught in conflict. No, you're in Christ Jesus. You're not. Don't let your circumstances and your situations dictate who you are. You're in Christ Jesus. They will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. It's in Christ Jesus that we find and keep our identity. We describe ourselves as a career or what we own. No, you're in Christ Jesus. You may do that for a living, but you're a believer. You're in Christ Jesus. And we need to see and protect our identity in Christ and be grateful for what God is doing and has done in our lives. Let me put it to this way. I've heard people say, you know, I'm not into church that much. I'm not into church that much. And let me tell you, what you're... What you're in, I in, what you're into, I in, will determine the end, E-N-D. The I in determines the E-N-D. What you're into determines the end, E-N-D. And some people say, you know, I'm not into church that much. I don't go that much. It's really not that important. We just kind of do it occasionally until their teenager, all of a sudden the phone call comes. And reckless behavior is threatening their future in their life. Then all of a sudden they show up at church. They want to be into church and they want the youth pastor to fix that teenager in three weeks. But the teenager gets it. Mom and dad has not been into it and for 10 years has told me God's not a priority. 
God's not number one, and God's not something we should be interested in. And then all of a sudden, you want a youth pastor to tell me, put God first in everything. The end, what you're into, determines the END. And you see, God is saying, God is saying to be complete in Christ, we have to be completely in Christ. To be complete in Christ, we have to be completely in Christ. In other words, I can't just come to church on a weekend and just kind of have a warm devotional moment with God and then go out for two or three weeks and maybe show up three months later, do my stuff and do my thing. But when I have time and I don't have stuff going on, I can show up and do whatever I want. It doesn't work that way. God says that that will not bring the life that you want. That will not take you into hope. That will take you into fear or you're listening to the message of pleasure. If you want to hear the message of hope, you have to be grateful and be in Christ Jesus. And here, Scripture gives us, I believe, three ways being grateful helps us to protect our identity in Christ. To keep us from being caught up in stuff and things and junk and labels and problems and and, and confinements and issues that seem to swallow up and steal our personality. Three things God's Word teaches us, and I want to share them with you today. Three, just one words. One words. Three, one words. Here it is. Number one is the word stop. Is the word stop. Verse number six. Before he says, you're in Christ Jesus, before he says, think on these things, before he says, thanksgiving, he tells us in verse number six here, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. There's something we need to stop. There's something we've got to discontinue. To have a proper stop allows us to have a healthy start. And some of us are wanting to start anew. Some of us had New Year's resolutions earlier on this year, but we haven't fulfilled this. Why? We, we had a healthy start, but we didn't have a proper stop. And sometimes the stop, the lack of a stop, chokes out the healthy start in our life. The Bible tells us in the book of Psalms, the steps of, and I'm going to add a word to this verse, the steps and the stops of a good man are ordered of the Lord. There's sometimes God is saying, do not do that. Is there a relationship that you have that if you have a phone call or connection this week is absolutely going to vacuum all the spiritual life and faith that you've gained over the last few weeks? Can you come to church on Sunday and your heart be full and then all of a sudden one phone call, one message, one Facebook experience, one connection, whatever, one rendezvous or whatever the case it is, it just absolutely takes all the spiritual life out of you. If that be the case, then stop it. Is there, is there a habit or a lifestyle issue that all of a sudden just drags you down to the bottom immediately? If so, stop it. God is saying, in order to protect your identity, sometimes we need to stop some things. My granddaughter, six years old, she was at her house during Thanksgiving. And just during that time, she brought her bicycle over. And now she is moving from a bicycle with training wheels to a bicycle without training wheels. 
So here she is. She says, Papa, come out and watch me. And so her dad was out there, and her dad was holding the bike and trying to get her to go, and she's wobbling. He's running along beside her trying to make sure she doesn't fall, and she's trying to negotiate it, and she did it. And here after uh, just a few hours working, man, she was going. She was going. She was able to do it. She was able to start. She was able to pedal and pretty well go down and then to the, do a turnaround and come back. But the one difficulty she has was stopping. She didn't know how to brake. So uh, we're watching her hour after hour. She's going down there, and when it comes time to stop, she just jumps off the bike. <laughs> the bike just skids on the asphalt, and she's just standing there. I mean, she lets it go. Said, baby, you can't do that. So we get on there, and her dad is talking to her, and I'm talking to her, and we're giving her all the instruction. Her mom's hollering at her, don't get hurt. And she has all these adults just trying to give her the seminar. And it was hour after hour. I mean, we spent most of the day. She could ride. She could start. She just couldn't stop. And here's what I finally thought. I said, baby, hear me, sweetheart. If you can't stop, then you can't ride. If you can't stop, you, it, it takes more than knowing how to start. You have to know how to stop. Baby, when it comes to a stop sign or if a dog runs out or somebody steps out in front of you or something comes by, you've got to be able to stop because if you can't stop, stopping is as important as starting and getting going when you're riding a bicycle. That's not bad advice in life. Sometimes we're caught because we don't stop some things. In our temperament, in our communication, in our style, and the way we relate to people. There's things that are unhealthy. And the scripture is telling us here, if you want to have thanksgiving and you want to think about good things, you have to have a verse number six experience. You need to stop some things. Do not be anxious about anything. And there's two things that I want to suggest to us, at least a couple, that we can stop. The first thing is stop comparing yourself to others. Stop comparing yourself to others. Do you know as long as we compare ourselves to somebody else, we're, we're going to always be ungrateful. It's hard to be grateful for what you have when you're looking at somebody else and you're comparing yourself to them. Somebody has said, in our 20s and our 30s, we worry what people think. In your 40s and 50s, you stop worrying what other people think of you. Then when you get in your 60s and 70s, you realize they weren't thinking about you to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> We, we get caught up on this. You know, my, my husband, he's not like the romance model husband I read about in all these romance models. My wife doesn't look like that airbrush model that I see here on the magazine cover. No, she's not like that. It took three hours and four artists to get her to look that way. I don't, I, I don't have as good a family. I don't have as good a home. I don't have as good a car. I don't have as good a job. I don't have as good a life. I don't have, and we're comparing ourselves to others. And you look at somebody and the, where they're at and how they're doing, and you think they're a 10. And you compare yourself and you're a three or a four. You know, no matter how much you try, you'll never be a 10 like them. Because they're a 10 in an area God wired them to be a 10. And you will always be average or below average. But only you can be a 10 of you. God wired you. God created you where you can be a 10. You can operate with praiseworthy and excellence in your area if you'll be who you are. You know, this was the same conversation Adam and Eve had in the garden. 
They had all the trees to eat of. They had everything going. And Satan said, compare it to this tree. There's a fruit on this tree the other trees don't have. Don't you want this tree? And they bought in comparing. And because they bit the apple, guess what? Sin came. And we kind of still follow that today, don't we? We kind of bite into that comparing ourselves to others. You're not as nice of, you're not as tender, and you're not as this, and you're not. We're comparing ourselves to others. And the scripture says, stop that. Number two, stop. How about stop whining? Isn't it easy to whine? I mean, we can get, some of us whine so much, you're just a whino. You whine all the time. You, you, whine about, you whine about everything. I mean, you get up in the morning, the alarm clock went off too early, and then you got a late star, and the people on the road are driving too slow, and the person in front of you stops at a, stops, at a stoplight, and you could have got through between the next change of light, but the person in front of you was on their cell phone and spending a little, they shouldn't have been on their cell phone, but they were. And that caused you to not get through the light. And then you get there. You don't like your parking spot at work. You don't like your work cubicle. You don't like the computer program that you have to operate on. You really don't like your coworkers. There's no good restaurants around your workplace that you can get in and out in an hour. So you have to always, you have to always go down to the stop and go and get something to go there. And then you don't like to drive home. And it's frustrating. You go to the grocery store. The line was too long. You get home and the teenager didn't do this. And dad didn't do this. And mom didn't do this. And you go all the way through this and we can just complain about everything we can whine about everything and whining is is manifesting ingratitude and the moment you're giving your identity you're giving who God created and you wanted you to celebrate you're giving it and you're losing it you're hemorrhaging that out I read an article the other day from parent uh, parent magazine parent magazine gave an article on four things to do with a whining child. That kind of caught my attention. What are, what's a parent to do with a whining child? Here's what they said, four things. Re, uh, refuse to let the whining child bother you. Offer encouragement to the child. Praise the child and be patient with the child. My mom and dad never read that article. <laughs> I wish my mom and dad had read that article. They didn't read that article. They, they were old school. I heard mom and dad say, if you don't stop crying and whining, I'll give you something to cry about. That's, that's how it happened. They never, I wish my mom and dad had read it. And you know what? On that day, in those days, they built cars that were more child discipline friendly. Yeah, they didn't have headrests because you're driving. Mom and dad could do this and drive. You know what I'm talking about? They could be going down the road, never look back and do this I told you to stop that now I mean that's how they did it they could drive down the road but now you can't even do that they have built a, I think kids built those those items to protect them from discipline whining children I'll tell you what my mom and dad did why did we get caught into married couple whining oh it can get into you know I read an article the other day on the top whining complaints of married couples. Here they are. Money, jobs, each other, in-laws, sharing the chores, lack of romance, closet space. <laughs> Hear me, fellas. Give up. She's going to win that one. <laughs> Don't whine. In our closet, I, I prayed for more space. 
I preached more space. I told Denise, I reasoned, she has most of the closet. She will win that. Another one is pillows. Pillows. Some of you are having pillow fights right now, and I'm not talking about the ones you laugh from and having a good time. There's, don't touch my pillow. Yeah. Yeah, I don't touch Denise's. I know the one. It's the one with the drool stains all over it. I leave it alone. That's hers, you know. Let's go on. Let's go on. It is, there's things we need to stop. Stop. Do not be anxious. Don't compare yourself to others. Don't whine. <laughs> Number two, not only stop, there's something we need to start. If we want to protect our identity and have gratitude, not only stop, start. Notice verse number eight. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. And he begins this, he begins this discussion with the word finally, in verse number 8. But you have to go back to chapter number 3, and in chapter number 3, he's saying, therefore. He's given directions. And through chapter 3 and through chapter 4, there's this long discussion, and then he comes on to verse number 8, and he said, finally, he's wrapping it all up. In fact, the six qualities there, you see them all the way through chapter 3 and 4, and he's bringing a summation. Finally, whatever is true, Whatever is lovely, whatever is just, whatever is noble, think on these things. There's something we've got to start. Gratitude is, is by faith and not by feelings. Some of us are saying, I don't feel like being grateful. I don't feel warm towards him. I don't feel hospitable. I don't feel caring. I don't feel this. I don't feel that. Gratitude is by faith and not by feelings. The Bible did not say whatever is fun, easy, loving, uh, comfortable, whatever comes natural. It doesn't say that. In fact, he is saying the things that are, that are the hardest to do when difficulty and trouble comes, do those things. There's something we've got to start. What would God say to start right now? That if you started it, it would improve so many things. What is it? What's that thing that's inside of you and you say, I know God wants me to do that. And if I just started, if I would do it, I'd make the phone call. If I, if I would change the way I talk, if I, would, if I would edit that language, if I just start doing this, I would start doing this. Things would change. Start that. What's the start in your life? You'll never feel like doing it. You have to do it by faith. And you know what we do? We procrastinate. Procrastination speaks every language. It's in every home. And procrastination is an equal opportunity spoiler. It will, it will spoil the best marriages, the best jobs, the best home, the best moments, the best vacations. I'll, I'll do it later. I'll think about it. When I get around to it, I'm considering it. I'm, I don't know. I'll, I'll, let me weigh it out. Let me weigh and we get caught into this, this, this area of, of procrastination. We know we need to do it. We know it's the right thing. We know it would be healthy, but we procrastinate it and put it off. 
For example, did you start a degree and never finish it? Did you ever buy a book and never read it? Did you join a, a gym, but you never did any exercise? Did you say you're going to get out of debt and get rid of credit card debt and you haven't, you haven't managed the credit responsibilities and the debt? Things we know we should do, could do. An apology. If you have an apology, you know you need to make it. Oh, I was wrong. I misspoke. I, I, I should have done better. But you've not made the apology. You said, well, the time has not been right. It's been three years. It's been three years. We've harbored that, and then you harbor it long enough, and then I don't need to make that apology. You get caught into that. We just don't start. We just don't do what we should do in the matter. Someone has said, sitting still and wishing will never make you great. The Lord provides the fishing, but we must dig the bait. There's something we've got to do. Some of us could answer our own prayers right now if we would just start what God's already told us to do. If we would just do it, just start what God's spoken to you. Is it getting to counseling? Then start it. Is it, is it changing the way you talk and the way you communicate with that teenager? Then start it. Initiate it. Show up at the games with him. Go out there on the sports field. Sweat a little bit. Let him see you cheer for him. There's something we can start. Join a life group. Start something that is positive and will bring forth a good result. And then number three, how do you protect your spiritual and emotional identity? The third one, stop, start, continue, continue. This is found in, in verse number four. Rejoice in the Lord always. And he's, here's what he's saying. I'm, I'm saying continue it. Don't give up on it. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And you can just see him emphasize, you've got to continue to do this. Rejoice. And I've noticed pastoring through the years and talking with families and walking families through moments and experiences of life, people intuitively get the stop and the start. I'll pray with people in the altar. I'll sit down and talk with people. and say, you know what, Pastor? I know I need to stop this. I just do this and I do this and make bad decisions. I blow my temper and I, I do this. and I, I, I know I need to stop being that. They get it. Then I'll talk to them like, you know what I need to do? I've known this. I realized for some time I need to start doing this. People get the stop and the starts very clearly. But what flies under the radar often is the continue. They get weary in it. They started it. But because it didn't change immediately, they didn't continue it. And it's many times, it's the lack of continuing that brings the defeat and the demise in our lives, the discouragement, the ingratitude. That's where we lost our identity. We were doing the right things. We just didn't continue doing the right thing. So I ask you rhetorically, Where's your gratitude gauge? Where is your gratitude gauge? Is it full? Can you look at your life? 
I know things could be better. I know you'd like to have a newer this and a better that. But, but just across the board, are you grateful for what you have? Are you grateful for the family you have? Are you grateful for what God is giving you in your family right now? Is your gratitude gauge up there or is it about half? You like your job, but you don't like it at home. Hmm, you're half empty. Or is it, is it running on empty? Has it taken you to the point where you don't even enjoy your, your career that you used to like and enjoy and brought fulfillment? The family that was a million smiles, is you tolerate it now and there's no joy there? What is it? Are you listening to the messages of fear and pleasure and not the message of hope? Gratitude will always pull you to hope. It will always tell you it will be and can be better. Where is your gratitude gauge? For some of us, there's something we need to continue. And in just a moment, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And we're going to make a commitment to the Lord in just a moment in the area of continuing. But I want to go back to the book of Philippians if I can. And I want to, I want to set a context to this for us for a moment. This is important. This, just track with me for a moment. The book of Philippians that I've read from all month long, scholars call it a prison epistle. The Apostle Paul that wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit wrote this when he was, when he was in jail. He was in jail because he did the right thing and he was treated wrongly. He did the right thing, but good circumstances didn't come out of it. He's put into prison. In chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, he makes two intriguing statements. In verse number 13, he's going to say, I am in chains. Literally, when he pins this, his feet are in chains and his hands are in chains. There's just enough movement in the chain. He could put the quill to the parchment and pin this book. He says in verse number 13, I'm in chains. What's interesting to me, the next verse in chapter 1, verse number 14, he moves from in chains, he calls them my chains. He owns them. Yeah. Be very careful. You can go through something and then all of a sudden something can become your identity. Identity theft happened. He wasn't just in chains, he said they're my chains. You can go through a divorce and then all of a sudden you can say, you know what, I'm hopeless. I'm not worth being loved. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I I, I don't have what it takes. I can't be a good father. I can't be a good stepmother. I can't be a good stepfather. And you begin to own the hurt, the pain, the conflict. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul did. My chains. But I go into chapter number four, and it's almost like the Apostle Paul is talking to himself, the verses I've read in every situation. Was he thinking of that? You know what? Right here in chains, I I can't hardly move my hand, but I'm going to be thankful, and I'm going to rejoice. And I'm telling myself this, rejoice. And again, I'm going to say it, Paul, you need to rejoice. And you're thinking about the chains. Those are not my chains. Those, those, those Those are not my chains. And I'm not going to think. That was, that was not that's not true. They're not my change. And that's what's happened to me is unjust. I'm going to think about what's true and just and right and lovely and praiseworthy. And he begins to change his thinking right now. And right in change, right in this cell, 
he begins to add his petition with thanksgiving. And in this same chapter, I go down to verse number 20. And this is his farewell. This is the Apostle Paul saying goodbye to us. Verse number 20. Here it is. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's how he typically ends a book. It's very much the Apostle Paul's style. Verse number 20. To end it by saying, to God be the glory, goodbye, and amen. But the book does not end there. That's verse number 20, but we have a verse 21, 22, and 23. He adds another goodbye. Could it be he sat there and he ended this and said amen and said goodbye. And the Holy Spirit said, you're not done. And the Holy Spirit said, you need to continue. You need to continue. And he looked at the parchment and he saw the quill there. And after he began to think of what is true and what is just and what is lovely, what is noble and what is admirable, he reaches over with that, that calloused hand. He dips it in the inkwell. And Quill touches parchment again. And he starts verse 21, 22, and 23. He continues. He continues. He'll say to us in verse 21, after he's already said goodbye, greetings to all the people in Christ. This is how he opened the book. He's, he's saying hello again. He's putting a postscript. He continued because God was not done. But something happens in verse number 22 that is very profound and it speaks to everyone. If you will continue, you can go from your chains, your heartbreak, your disappointment, your broken heart. You can go from your chains. You can go from your most profound disappointment, your your greatest betrayal. You can move beyond that. He said, I'm in chains in chapter 1. But listen how he describes himself and he describes his prison cell in verse number 22. All of God's people send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. He calls his jail cell, I'm one of Caesar's guests now, I'm in his household. He's no longer in verse number 22. He no longer sees himself in chains. He said, I've got the guest room. (laughs) I've got a personal invitation from Caesar. Caesar has a room prepared for me. I'm one of his guests in his household. He's still in jail, but he's seen everything different. He Gratitude kicked into his heart. Gratitude came into his heart, and it turned his prison cell. He now says, I'm a guest in Caesar's household. The circumstances did not change, but Paul's attitude and outlook did change because of gratitude. And then we come down to the last verse of this book, verse 23. He says, And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And he ends it again the second time. Amen. This is the second amen. And amen means it's over. When we say amen in a prayer, it means it's time to go. It's over with. We say amen, it's completed. There was an amen in verse number 20. But God said, continue. And he turned his prison cell into a guest room right then and there and then he ended with a second amen and I came to tell you today God has another amen for you God has another amen for you you're not done 
it's not over. It's not hopeless. You're not done. You're not washed up. You're not, it's not over with. You're, you're not damaged good for the rest of your life. You're, you're not scarred from now on. There may have been a divorce, but God's not given up on you. God can still do something with you. God can still change. There's been conflict in the home. God can still change that. There's another amen. God has a second. The second amen is, is one of healing. It's one of restoration. It's one of reconciliation. It's one of healing. It's one of hope. If you continue. Paul didn't give up in verse number 20. God had a 21, a 22, and a 23 from you, for him. And my encouragement, continue. Go back to school. Go see a counselor. Stay in church. Get in a life group. Continue to reach out. Continue to be warm to them. Continue to follow through with your spiritual growth. Continue to tithe. What, whatever, what is, what's the thing that you stop doing that the Holy Spirit would say you need to continue that? What was the one thing God said, continue doing that? Because if you will, God has a second amen for you. God can punctuate your life with an amen. And that amen is one of wholeness. It's one of healing. It's one of hope. And every one of us in here, God has a second amen if we will continue. If you'll allow me, I'd like to lead you in prayer. Would you stand together with me? Whatever God has spoken to your heart, and I I'm confident in the ability of the Holy Spirit across the balcony and the main floor. He's personalized this. And you know the area that God is saying, continue. You know the area God is saying, don't give up. Don't stay the same. Pick up. You dropped it. Maybe you've been out of church for, for years. You quit going. But you heard something inside of the secret chamber of your heart that said today, continue get back on track and I'm going to invite you to make that commitment to the Lord right now in your heart to God to start don't say I'm going to start after the first of the year don't do that don't say after the holidays don't say when the kids get back after. don't say after I finish this busy month start today let it be now continue let's pray Heavenly Father, I bring these gracious people to you. People that you care for. And I believe the Holy Spirit has had a personal conversation in the course of this message with so many hearts. And some are just dormant right now. Some are, are stalled. Some even feel hopeless. But the Holy Spirit has said, just continue. Oh, I know, Lord, there's something in many hearts that got to stop and start. But for every one of us, there is a continue moment. There is something you're telling us to keep on doing. And I pray, Father, today that men will say, I will continue. It's easy for us men to, to be on the sideline and on the fringe so many times with God. Many of us were not raised in a home where spiritual life and spiritual expression was something that was, that was modeled before us. And as a consequence of that, some of us men keep God in a, in a distance from us.
We think going to church once every month or two is sufficient, but it's not. We know it. We know it. But it's just so hard for us to acknowledge that. But today, I believe there are men that are going to say, I'm going to continue. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to rearrange some schedules and some activity time. And if I can't come on Sunday, I'll be there Saturday night. I'm, I'm going to be in church. I, I'm going to tithe. I, I, I'm going to get in a life group. I'm going, to, I'm going to make, I'm going to do and continue what I know because God, you have a, a second amen for them. And it's an amen of joy and one of completeness for single moms and, and blended families. Sometimes the challenges of everyday life can be overwhelming. And the distractions can just can cause chaos in the home. But you said, Lord, in your word, if we with thanksgiving, if we will just begin to focus with thanksgiving and make our request known unto God as such, you will firewall our hearts and minds. Those families, they need, they need the firewall of the Holy Spirit. And they can see their life and their situation through the eyes of gratitude. They can move from chains to a guest room. The Apostle Paul did. And I pray that for them, to be thankful for their stepchildren, to be thankful for that family, to be thankful for their job, to be thankful for the house they have or the apartment they live in right now. I pray, God, every one of us, we will see ourselves, our lives, our spouses, our family, our job, our career. We'll see it differently through the eyes of gratitude. Help us, Lord, in faith, not feelings, in faith to lean into hope, to continue to be faithful in the areas you've called us. And I lead us all right now. I believe there are people that are praying an honest, sincere commitment to God right now. And we're going to start today. We're going to start now. Not later, not procrastinate. We're going to start now. I pray that. As we just linger before the Lord, I just sense a spirit of tearing right now. If this is connecting with you, as you just keep your eyes closed, if this is connecting, and this is a family commitment, this is something you know it relates to the marriage or to the family, and your spouse is with you, and you feel comfortable, why don't you just reach over and take his or her hand and just squeeze it. And that squeeze, that, that's an affirmation. That's, that's hope speaking. That's saying we can do this. That's saying we can make it happen. You're, 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 you're speaking. You're speaking. You're, you're prophesying over your, over your home, your finances, your job, your career, your family. And you're saying, today I'm making that commitment. Just, just take let the Holy Spirit for a moment. Now, now, I'm going to invite you. I believe the Holy Spirit is lingering a moment. Would you just to begin to intercede in the Spirit? It's all right. We're a Spirit-filled church. It's all right to, to worship and pray in the Spirit. Could you just do that? Just give me right under your breath. Oh, Holy Spirit God, yes, God, just intercede over 
Just intercede. Pour it out to the Lord. In the name of Jesus, just begin to pray over it right now. Intercede over it right before. We're, we're letting the Holy Spirit punctuate this moment. Holy Spirit, bring a new amen to your people. An amen that will just eliminate the conflict and the chaos, the anger, the hurt. An amen. An amen that can just wash it all away. In three verses, the Apostle Paul went from, from feeling like he was in chains, and he said they were my chains then, as it were, when he picked up the pen again, three verses later, he's given an amen, and he sees himself as a guest in Caesar's household. God, Holy Spirit, you can whisper a word. You can whisper hope into marriages and hearts and families right now. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for moments that you personalize your word. You personalize the word of God. Thank you for what you've deposited in our hearts. May your people go blessed and full and renewed and re enriched in the Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us this weekend. Go in the goodness of the Lord. Bless you.